We started the service this morning by talking about uh, surprises. I have mixed feelings myself. Um, I, I do love unexpected joy in any form, but I do not like to be frightened, not even for a split second. So it's kind of a mixed bag in our house. I don't know how you feel about unexpected surprises or conversely, how you feel about very predictable traditions. You know, those well-worn paths of familiarity that we travel at different times and seasons of our lives. Easter might be one of those predictable traditions for you. You know, whether or not church is even part of your growing up history, the Easter story is one that many of us feel like we're very familiar with. You know, we, we think we know it. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. And yet, we've been making our way through this series talking about the unexpected nature of God. Noticing how when we look closely at the biblical stories that we think that we know, and especially when we look at Jesus, we often see that God is actually not so many of the things that, for whatever reason, we've come to think or believe or expect that God is. So much of the damage that has been done and continues to be done in the world comes from a distorted picture of God that has been given to so many of us and which has operated in large swaths of the church throughout history. And when so much of the damage done inside our individual hearts, you know, because of a, a messed up view of God and then consequently ourselves. So we have been trying to look with fresh eyes to see what's really there. Last Sunday, Jeff guided us through a re-examination of the story of Palm Sunday and the ways in which Jesus was not the kind of king the Jewish people in the first century were really expecting. You know, he came to bring freedom from oppression, yes, but not through power and might and conquering the Roman army. He came to bring a much deeper and wider freedom than that, one which would only be obtained through humility, through gentleness and love. Now, he made it clear that he had come not to show us how to better wield power against one another, but, but how to lay it down for one another. And then on Good Friday, Jesus took it even deeper, demonstrating that while love would indeed be the thing that saves us all, how wonderful, but that the unexpected pathway to that love would be the full embrace of pain and suffering in the absolute emptying of ourselves for one another, a love unto the point of death, a full surrender. And so in the, in the context of this continued exploration of the unexpected God, we come to Easter Sunday morning. I love imagining the scene as it would have unfolded in real time in the first century, you know, before it became a story and a tradition, and it was just a fresh new Sunday morning. It had been a tumultuous week, to say the least. Now, those who had been following Jesus, gathering around him in increasing numbers, were excited by the energy in the air, you know, moved by the unmistakable power in his presence. It seemed obvious that they were on the cusp of a powerful revolution. You, know, you could feel it in your bones. That freedom from Rome really could be at hand. There was something undefinable and yet undeniable about this man that had them believing a new day really could be about to dawn for all of them. But Rome would have none of it. The religious establishment would have none of it. And so plots were hatched, friendships betrayed, 
sham trials enacted and torture unleashed. All of it ending with a brutal crucifixion on a hillside outside of Jerusalem. Darkness had won. Jesus was gone. The crowds had disbanded, and the disciples had all gone into hiding. Jerusalem was once again quiet on that misty Sunday morning. The Passover celebrations were over. The crucifixions had been cleaned up. And somehow life was supposed to just pick up and move on. As dawn crept over the horizon, a small group of women start to make their way towards the tomb where Jesus had been lain. They were carrying spices and various ointments, treatments for a dead body that were used widely in the first century. They thought they knew the story they were in, and they had just watched that story end. Now, the dream had died. The hope was gone. So they were doing the only thing they knew to do, to go through the motions of grieving, take care of the body, pay their respects, honor their friend, and then continue to wait and long for the day when God might actually care about their cries. They thought they knew the story, but today was not going to be what they expected. Luke 24, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In the fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. It always strikes me as funny that Jesus had literally told them. Now, he told them more than once what was going to happen, both of his coming death and his eventual resurrection. But the idea was too fantastical for their minds to wrap around it. And so they were missing what was unfolding right in front of them. We do that as humans sometimes, don't we? We have so much trouble believing what doesn't make sense to us that sometimes we end up missing what is true and right in front of us because it doesn't quite take the shape that we're expecting. That's okay. God is both patient and persistent with these first century characters and with us. These faithful women had had their eyes on the wrong story on Easter Sunday morning. And so they received the surprise of their lives when they arrived to discover an empty tomb and a resurrected Savior. The story was anything but over. Plot twist. <laughs> no, death had been necessary, but death was not the end. Rather, it was death that actually made way for resurrection. You know, unleashing a power unlike anything any of them had ever seen before. We said earlier that Jesus' kingdom is all about laying power down. That's not entirely accurate. It's about laying down the world's kind of power, you know, me-centered domination, control, violence, force. But the gospel of Jesus is not about no power. It's about an entirely different kind of power, gravity-shifting power, reality-changing power. And that power's name is love. 
And make no mistake, that is not a soft term. Love is not toothless. It is the strongest force that exists. The unconquerable power of light, the, the current running underneath everything that matters. And side note, everything matters. Love is the power that breathed Jesus into existence. Love is the power that held him to the cross. Love is the power that ultimately raised him from the dead. And that is both the power and the story that we are also each invited into. And I think that's the real plot twist to the Easter story. It's not just that Jesus was dead and now he's alive. I mean, that's a pretty decent story, and we'll take it. To those who loved him in the flesh, I bet it would have been enough. But there is indeed more. The, the real plot twist of Easter is that that power of resurrection now beats inside your chest. It, it's not just Jesus' resurrection. It's ours. 1 Corinthians 15 says, For since death came through a man, the resurrection from the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. There is a life force inside of you that turns death to life. So what do you want to do with it? Where are you feeling death these days? Where do you think you know the story and it looks like that story doesn't end too well? Resurrection unleashes a power unlike any other in the universe, the, the life-transforming power of Christ in our lives and in our world. And that, my friends, changes the definition of possibility everywhere. Now that unleashes possibility into every last dark and dormant corner of our complicated, struggly lives. Every bad ending you see in front of you right now doesn't need to be the end. It doesn't. And that doesn't mean that there might not be a very difficult, painful, self-emptying pathway of love that needs to be traveled to get from death to life. And it doesn't mean that resurrection is necessarily going to take the shape you think it is or want it to. Now, we might have to learn to see with something other than our eyes, but there is a power right at the center of your being that raises the dead to life. We just have to figure out how to tap into it so that we can then live out of it. And that is the million-dollar question, right? How do we do that? I think it starts by reigniting our hope. Hope can be like the key in the lock that opens the door to allow us to see things differently. You know, things we are currently convinced are impossible, dead in the ground. That's often because we're only looking with our eyes. What if we looked with our beyond eyes? And what if we actually chose to let hope be the lens we continually look through? What might that do to everything? Whether it actually changes the reality in front of us, I mean, it might, there is some science behind that concept. Or whether it would simply allow us to more clearly see the reality that is in front of us. Is there any chance you've closed yourself off to hope in some areas? I'll admit that sometimes I do. Hope feels incredibly risky to me, like being asked to gamble with chips that I'm not sure I have to lose. I have a hard enough time trusting things that are right in front of me. You want me to gamble hope on something I can't even see yet? Something I'm not sure of? 
I don't know if my heart can take that risk. But that's kind of the thing. You know, we miss it when we aim for hope that this thing or that will work out exactly like this or that. And then we hold our breath to see if the hope was well warranted. That is a very narrow view and the primary way I have always practiced hope. <laughs> and I have the heart scars to prove it. Because that's not resurrection hope. That's something else that's trying to force my own way, formed in my own brain, and looking with my half-closed eyes. We have to practice a hope that is higher than that. And I'll admit, this is brand new territory that I am trying to learn to walk in, to shift from hoping for specific things to adopting hope as a way of being, you know, unattached to outcomes. Practicing deep-seated but open-handed hope, not in the good things that I want to happen, but in the God of goodness who is holding all of the things. Our hope is that goodness is true and love is here and we are held. Those are solid hopes. They can be trusted, but we have to release our expectations, our demands, yes, our hopes, as to what shape that goodness will take, as we hold incredibly firmly to the hope that goodness will be. You know, that God is love and incapable of being anything but, and that we are held in the center crucible of that in everything. That is practicing hope as a way of being, with wide open eyes and wide open hearts and gently open hands. That is a powerful and trustworthy way to hope. And I would like to learn it. And you know where hope like that gets birthed? In honest, raw, regularly practiced, intimate connection with Jesus. Through worship and nature and prayer and practice. Through communing together and encountering the Christ in one another's eyes through the healing of hurts and the offering of our lives in service. Hope gets birthed inside the embrace of relationship with the resurrected one. But inside that relationship, it will indeed get birthed. So don't hope for good things, hope for goodness, <laughs> recognizing that it may come to you differently than you expect, but it will come. Practicing resurrection means practicing hope. They are one and the same, I'm pretty sure. And if we can bring ourselves to do that, I truly believe that we will begin to live in and from the power of the Spirit within, rather than by human effort for human values with all too human results. I know people who do this very well, and I am not them yet. But we don't even have to believe all these things today for them to start to breathe new life in us. The good news is, as we practice them with our lives, they will start to make our, their way into our hearts, you know, into our bones. Resurrection is about trusting more, not trying more. So we don't white-knuckle our way into a new way of being. We walk our way into a new way of being, always, just one step at a time. And I'm actually going to invite you into one of those tiny little steps right now here together this morning. We are going to practice some resurrection by practicing some hope. Now, if you're watching this message live in one of our locations right now, 
you'll see there are a bunch of pots like this on a table near you. If you're joining us across the cyberspaces, you probably won't have a pot of dirt nearby. Although if you do, I'm not here to judge your decorating choices. But if not, I would implore you quite seriously to actually go to a garden center later today and pick one up and come back and walk this practice through for real. We're gonna try planting some hope in our hearts, in our lives by letting our actions lead the way. So the pots are filled with what may look like plain old dirt to you, just as whatever the situations you are facing in your life right now might look like a bunch of hopeless dirt. So what is this for you? Because the message of Easter Sunday morning is that sometimes it is exactly whatever looks like a pile of dirt. Whatever looks like lost cause, game over, time to give up death is often exactly the rich, fertile ground needed for resurrection. And so we will practice hope, wild, defiant, open-handed hope that God is good and life is near and that there's all kinds of possibilities still left in the equation of whatever this is. Choosing to believe that light can indeed still come out of darkness in whatever shape it wants. So during the next song, we're going to invite you to come and choose a pot of dirt. Take a minute to hold it prayerfully in your hand and let it symbolize whatever you need it to symbolize. Maybe it's just the everyday difficulty of life. Maybe it's a specific situation or relationship. Maybe it's where you're at with God or even with yourself. It's your ability to receive love into the deepest parts of your soul. Wherever your hope is wavering, where do you long to see the resurrection of new life? And once you've got that in your mind, pick up a seed from the table. These are sunflower seeds, a flower that literally turns its face towards the light of each new day, actively drawing strength from its source. A sturdy flower that survives harsh conditions and continually regenerates loads of life through its seeds. It's a pretty good symbol. <laughs> so then take that seed and plant it deep into the dirt, letting it be an act of prayer, letting your body lead your heart in choosing a movement of hope. Then take a second seed and you can either put it into the ground as well there, or you can take it home and put it, plant it at the site where you actually want hope to grow. And then guess what? You have to water this thing on a regular basis to bring about the seed's resurrection. Now, practicing hope is an ongoing discipline, a daily choice. Water and sunlight, water and sunlight again and again. We have to keep re-choosing. At home, just as today, let your body lead your heart and practice the art of hope. So, clear as mud. <laughs> Come take a pot, hold it as a prayerful symbol, choose two seeds, press one into the ground right now as an act of hope, letting death make way for resurrection. Amen.